0: Baseball Tonight, the podcast.
1: This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, February 28, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Sarah Abbott is working from the hangar back in Bristol where there's a lot of snow. Taylor Schwenk is working from the pulpit. The Rev is working from the pulpit back in Connecticut. Again, a lot of snow there. Guys, I'm down in Fort Myers where yesterday was about 87 degrees But most of the conversation down here is not about the weather. It's about the new rules, which went into uh, effect since our last podcast with the first exhibition games. What would you think? First run through.
2: Oh, yeah, I loved it. I thought the speed was really fun. I thought it was really engaging, and I'm a big fan of it. I know that it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I'm a big fan.
3: Taylor? Yeah, it's awesome. I I mean, I was talking to uh, uh, my uncle this weekend, actually, and he's a big sports fan. Across all sports, like, these games just take too long, and baseball's no different. And to just see drastic change right away so quickly, why didn't we do this earlier? Yeah, and and look, if you can get the game moving along to the point that
1: you have a major league manager talking about upgrading bat boys and how fast they move on the field, and we're going to be talking about that coming up, that tells you something like, <laughs> I think it's fun. And I, you know, my perception from my conversation with players, because I always open up with, Hey, what do you think about the rules is that most of them enjoy it. You know, uh, there was a moment over the weekend, which we'll play, that got a lot of attention, but I think the first go through pretty encouraging. That's for sure. All right. Since last we spoke, Manny Machado got an 11 year $350 million deal Kelly, you remember what we said on the podcast when he
3: gave that deadline of February 16th. We We're like, yeah, that doesn't matter. <laughs> we knew they were working behind the scenes. I mean, it would be silly to think otherwise. And, and here we are. Manny Machado, he's going to go to the Hall of Fame wearing his Padres cap.
1: Wow. that like the, the Oriole fan going down Bitter Boulevard. Manny Machado mm-hmm. uh, with a Hall of Fame cap <laughs> of the Padres. Uh, game action over the weekend. In recent days, Tim Anderson hit an RBI double down the left field line.
4: There's one pull left side and fair so
1: tim sneaks it past the bag and that'll tie this game up an rbi double for ta out of the top spot michael harris had a nice day on monday going two for three with a triple give a listen Exploded out towards right center that'll find some space and bounce in and roll to the warning track into the base of the wall that'll be an rbi triple for michael harris But with the first games comes the first wave of injuries. The Rays' Tyler Glasnow injured his oblique in spring training uh, in a spring training workout. Pretty much a bummer, that's for sure. He threw about six pitches before leaving the mound with one of the club's trainers. You would assume this is going to delay the start of his 2023 season. And this happened to Dodgers shortstop Gavin Lux yesterday. Really devastating.
3: And the left-hander Jose Lopez deals. Ground ball down to third. Picking it up, the new third baseman, Jansen Witte. And they go around the horn. And a double play, and Lux is grabbing his right knee. Uh, You can see Gavin upset about this situation, too. Well, There's a lot of emotion that that
1: happens when you get the injury, and then you can tell there's a lot of discomfort on top of it.
3: And they're bringing a cart in to get him.
1: Yep. He's not able to put any weight on the right leg. At all, So I texted a source this morning, and as that highlight was playing, I got an answer back. The word is, it is bad, this injury. We'll get the official diagnosis, I would assume, later in the day from the Dodgers. But Gavin Lux, who projected to be their shortstop, is going to be out for a long, long time. Taylor, what else you got?
3: Buster, we recorded a great episode of SVPod last night with Scott Van Pelt and Stanford Steve. They asked the question after Damian Lillard drops 71 in a game, will someone score hundred points? They think, they think it might happen on our watch. Check it out. No SVPod. chance. No <laughs> chance. Uh, listen to SV pod, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Vivid seats wants
1: to get you to the games. You love this spring experience. Every pitch assist and game winning shot live and in person. And the best part. Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Seam hands rejoice. This is Timmy Time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never
4: disappoints you.
1: On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkson covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, as I welcome you in, I'm just going to tell you, this is going to be a great morning. Because guess what? I get to insult you on national television today. (laughs) (laughs) So what else is new? (laughs) So the show Get Up, as soon as we're done taping with you, I'm going to be on Get Up. And they sent me, as you know, these shows will send you a rundown on the, on the scripted questions, uh, that they have for a show. And the question reads like this. Tim Kirchin says that maybe there are too many rules all at once. What do you think? And I, it just feels like that they just put your head on a T
4: for me and I can say whatever I want and you're not going to be there. Look, I'm an easy target. I've always been an easy target, especially for you. My point was a veteran great pitcher in the National League told me, boy, we've got a lot of new rules to learn and we have a pitch clock, so we have to learn them all in a short amount of time. So far, so good. I think this is all going to work out. It's going to be an enormous adjustment, and <laughs> it's—I don't care what you say about me on the air. I called you an idiot on national TV once, and that was the end of that. So I'm yeah, good. I'm trying, I'm trying to decide.
1: Do I go with Greeny? Don't you know that my friend Tim Kirkson is crazy? You know, <laughs> I think—I think I might start with that. Is my first answer. So I'm—I'm I'm, I'm toying with a lot of different
4: lines. Look, and, there and you're not going to Lock- be there to rebut any of it. It, it. I never am, Buster. You always have the last say, and I get it. It's your podcast. You can figure it out no matter what you do. All right. Uh, and I am going to ask you about the rules. I
1: did want to start with what I think is a very devastating injury. It's not getting enough attention, you uh, know, in potential injury, and that is Gavin Lux going down yesterday, running the bases A what was effectively a non-contact injury, and grabbing his knee, and you and I have seen a lot of athletes through the years have reactions to injuries, and when I saw that yesterday, I was like, oh boy, he's he's seriously hurt. Now, he went for an MRI. We haven't heard yet from the Dodgers what the deal is, but I think he's going
4: to be out for a long, long time. And that's a huge blow. Let's not forget, this was Corey Seager at shortstop, then Trey Turner at shortstop. They need a you know, a premier shortstop, and Gavin Lux had a chance to be a very good player, and I'm sure he still will be. But this, you know, they didn't do much in the offseason, but they did add Miguel Rojas, who can play shortstop. He's played it every day in the big leagues. But he is more valuable to me, to the Dodgers, moving all around that infield. And now, if Gavin Lux is hurt as badly as you think he is, Then Rojas is going to have to play a lot of shortstop, which, again, he can do, but their depth is not what it used to be. And that kid's a good player, Gavin Lux. He's back to his original position, shortstop. He's going to play better there than he did at second. And now it looks like he's going to be out a while. That's a big blow for the Dodgers. Yeah. We had Dave
1: Roberts in the podcast a few weeks ago, and he talked about, you know, Lux being the shortstop. Uh, and I think the feeling in the Dodgers organization was that last year was a great year of progress for him. And he had been one of baseball's best prospects for a while, kind of, you know, slogged through a couple of seasons playing this utility type role for the Dodgers. But he did feel like last year he turned the corner.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you take a, uh, an original shortstop and you move him to second base, I've written this story multiple times, that is a very difficult transition. Even in this era where you're not allowed to kill the shortstop or the second baseman, it's still hard to go over to that other side. And going back to your natural side, the left side for Lux would have made him an even better player. And again, this is going to hurt the Dodgers. Alright,
1: about the new rules, this is what happened on Saturday, Red Sox and Braves.
3: Uh-oh. And now what? He's out. They have called strike three. Wow. This is mayhem. Oh. Automatic strike three called with the bases loaded in a tie game in the bottom of the ninth. This is baseball in 2023. So,
1: Tim, I think the word mayhem would be the operative word in that. Uh and sure enough, and I knew as soon as I heard about this, you're like, boy, so many people are gonna jump on this, like, oh my God, the sport is ruined. It's <laughs> never gonna recover. What you know, what are we gonna do when the World Series ends this way? And I I'm just like, come on. <laughs> like it's the first weekend. Not only are the players learning new rules, the umpires learning new rules, the pitch clock operators are
4: learning the new rules. Tim, they'll figure it out. Yes, I agree. So my first day with Dusty Baker in spring training, like eight, 10 days ago, whatever, I said to Dusty, all right, Dusty, what about the rule changes? This is the first thing he said. He said, what happens if the bases are loaded with a 3-2 count in the ninth inning of a tie game and a game ends on a ball violation or a strike violation? That's the first thing he said. And then the exact same thing happened in the first day of full games. I just laughed out loud when I saw it because I said Dusty warned us this could happen. Now Buster, you're right. This is an exhibition game. They ended up in a tie, it doesn't matter who wins. This spring training is all about learning these rules so that doesn't happen in a regular season game. Imagine that happening in a regular season game. Imagine it happening in a postseason game. Imagine that ending a World Series game. Now that would be mayhem, and this is why everyone is following every pitch now to make sure That never happens again. Buster, I was at your game yesterday. I watched every – look, I will tell you, there are spring training games that I go to where I don't watch every single pitch. But I did yesterday because you have to. And I found myself watching the clock the first three innings more than I was watching the game. I have to get away from that. But the point is, these are the best players in the world, and they're going to adjust mainly because they don't have a choice – they're not going to stop these rules in the middle of spring training. I kind of learned that yesterday. So let's learn the rules and let's go.
1: So I'm curious to see if you agree with my, you know, my feelings on this. What's going on with the rule changes reminds me a lot of when baseball moved into steroid testing in 2002, 2003. You know, for years the the player association stance on drug testing was we'll never do it. Privacy rights, we'll never do it, and, and that was from the leadership. And then what we got from the grassroots with the, from the players, individual players, was, you know, they a, a lot of guys were like, yeah, I want drug testing. Yeah, I think the sport needs drug testing. USA Today had a poll in the spring of 2002. 78% of the players said, yeah, I think drug testing is going to be better for the sport. I I don't think the numbers are that acute. But based on my conversations with a lot of players this spring, despite the fact that the leadership – you know, announced that it uh, unanimously voted against the rule changes. I think a lot of players like these rules. I think they're kind of excited about it. They're acknowledging that there's going to be some adjustment period. You know, Pete Alonso said to me during the game yesterday, you know, I want to work with these a little bit longer before I form an opinion on this. But I think the majority of the players
4: actually like the product that they're working toward. Well, I talked to two members of the Astros yesterday who would totally disagree with you. They hate all the rules, and, but they hadn't played in a game yet. Now things change when these guys start to play in a game and they realize, okay, this is going to have to change. And you saw what, what Max Scherzer did the other day. He's right. already exploiting the rules. He told me before the game started, look, none of this is going to hurt me. The shift, I'm a fly ball pitcher. It's not going to hurt me. The pitch clock, I work really fast. not going to hurt me. You saw what he did the other day, Buster. The batter got in the box with about 18 seconds on the timer. 18 seconds. And Max Scherzer now says, I got this guy wherever I want it. And he holds the ball for 14 seconds. Now the hitter is up there and he's paralyzed. He's totally frozen in the box because he's not allowed to step out now because now we're under eight. And, and Max said, you know, I like the new rules. It give the pitchers power. So you got to take advantage of these rules if you're a player. And if you're slow around the plate or slow to the plate, you're going to have to make the adjustment. And again, that's what 30 spring training games are going to be all about. Okay, so I'm just curious, just generally speaking, if you were to put a percentage
1: figure on it in your conversations with players, with managers, uh, with coaches, generally how they feel about the rules, because I find myself opening all my conversations with, hey, what do you think? And I'm guessing it's somewhere in the range of 60 to 65 percent are saying they
4: like them. What about you? All right, I've probably talked to three dozen, if not 50, people in uniform this spring. I'm at about 50-50 right now. And most of the guys, it's because they're just not comfortable getting in the box at eight seconds. I had a catcher tell me yesterday, why do I have to be in the box in nine seconds, what's what's the point? And I had a hitter tell me, yeah, the catcher's gotta be in the box, but I'm not getting in the box if the catcher is standing up. Those are the rules that I made. Well, you can't do that anymore. So I, I'm at 50-50. Half the people I talk to think it's okay and it's gonna get better. The other half thinks it's a bad idea and it's gonna get worse. I am on the other side, I think. I saw the adjustments those guys made yesterday. Tomas Nito came one second away from getting a violation. I watched him get out of the box. And the next time he got out of the box and was back in with a second to spare because he recognized that was too close. This is what they have to learn in order to adjust to these
1: rules. Okay. The, you know, the, the big picture goal of major league baseball of all these rule changes is more action per minute. And look, you know, we we got uh, we knew that yesterday might the score might get a little ugly and the scoring might get a little, a little ugly between the Cardinals and the Mets. But there's no doubt the game moved faster. There's no question. And there were balls put in play that would have been easy ground outs with the defensive shifts that became
4: hits. It right. was a more compelling product in my right. opinion. Buster, I'm not looking for a faster game. I'm looking for a better game. I'm looking for a game with more action to it. And yesterday, they played a 12-7 to game in two hours and 59 minutes. David Cohn walked out of the booth. You are David Cohn walked out, looked at me, and said, that would have been a four-hour game last yes. year. And instead, it was a three-hour game. And that's a major league pitcher who's watching everything. Uh, I think he's right. And I think we need to keep moving this product along. It's going to be hard. It's a difficult adjustment. But, again, they have to do this. They have no choice. And it's spurring the imagination of a lot of people within the sport to find
1: the the subtle advantages, Max Scherzer being one of those, another being Buck Showalter. I never thought, Tim, that I'd be considering – uh, in, in uh, you know, late February, the possibility of a bat boy combine. But maybe that's what we're going to have, right? That's what we need, right? Based on what Buck, Bucks, who always has these wonderful observations,
4: what he told us yesterday is absolutely right, if you can describe that. Well, this is so classic, Buckshaw. You know how many times he's looked at me and said, you ever thought about her? You ever considered? And, of course, I never have because he's the only one that thinks of these things. He said yesterday to all of us, he said, I think we're gonna travel with our bat boys. I think we're gonna take them on the road because they know where everyone's bat is. They know where Pete Alonzo's pine tar is. We need to save every second we can. So I think we should travel our bad boys this year. I just slap my forehead like, you've got to be kidding me. But knowing it's Buck Walter, he's the only one to think of that. And yet yesterday, Buster, I checked on this, and I was told, I didn't know, the Dodgers travel their bad boys. I didn't know that. Because maybe they're way ahead of the game, but I know Buck is way ahead of the game, and I found it fascinating that he thought we can get a tiny advantage and save a few seconds if our bat boys know our players really well, so we'll take them on the road. So I watched a sequence. You and I have seen a million
1: times that situation where guy gets a second base, he's got his elbow guard, he's got his, he's got his ankle guard, and then the first base coach kind of ambles out and picks up the stuff, and then he takes it back and hands the bat boy. Wayne Kirby, first base coach of the Mets, did not do that yesterday. Okay, bad boy for the Mets comes racing out. He races out, grabs the the bat, and then he runs out to second base. I think it was Nito who was on second base, grabs his piece of equipment, and races off. So when I'm, you know, we're kind, I'm kind of kidding about the bad boy combine, but I'm kind of not like Buck described
4: it. There's an advantage of having a super fast bad boy, you know, running a four three. Right. It sounds ridiculous. I laughed out loud. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought this actually makes sense. And then found out another major league team already does this, but not for the purposes of speeding up. But now it certainly makes sense to me. And Buck also told us yesterday, you know, with all the coverages that, and all the bunt plays and everything else, maybe you don't even send it to the catcher now and let him relay it to all the infielders. You just relay it from the manager's office right to the players in the infield. This is the coverage we're going to have on this first and third play. Again, that might save three seconds, but those three seconds might come in handy with a pitch clock. He talked about placards, the way they do uh, play placards in the SC, in
1: SEC football, and we know right. Buck, how much love, Buck loves SEC football, uh, play placards where you know they hold up science in the dugout to let all the infielders know at the same time.
4: Right. Who knows? Look, this is a different buster. This is the most fascinating spring training we're going to have. We're going to watch every single game, every single pitch, because we might see something that we've never seen before. Maybe we don't want to see, but again, let's get the kinks out here. My big concern, Buster, is all these guys are going to be leaving for the WBC. And we're not playing the same rules in the WBC. Dusty Baker is worried. We're not going to get our guys back until like two weeks before the season starts. So to really iron out these rules, we're only going to have two weeks instead of a month to do it. All right. Since we last had a podcast, Manny Machado
1: worked out an 11 million or excuse me, 11 year, 350 million dollar deal. Tim, I said at the time when Machado told reporters, you know, I gave him a February 16th deadline. I was like, yeah, that doesn't apply. I know how much Manny loves playing for the Padres and how much the Padres love Manny. And if you're his agent, Dan Lozano, you did the right thing in taking advantage. You got a player on a team that's spending like crazy you absolutely make a deal. I thought it was a no-brainer this would get done.
4: Yeah, I was not taken by, oh, man, he's opting out. He's going to go play for somebody else. I told no. you that day. Let's just see how the season goes. Maybe he, Stoto, Bogarts, and Tatis Jr. formed this unbelievable foursome at the top of the order. And, man, he goes, I don't want to go anywhere. Well, it already happened because Peter Seidler, kept his promise and said, Manny Machado is my number one priority, and then he took care of it. And they're not done, Buster. We know other gigantic free agents are out there, and he's got to get Soto long- signed long-term. So the money spent by the Padres, a lot more is coming. All right, so during the game
1: uh, on Monday, I got a chance to interview Jordan Walker, the super prospect for the Cardinals Who is enormous. And of course, you know, I could have asked him about the the baseball stuff first, but no, I was going to ask him how big he is because when I saw his listed height at 6'5, I was like, there's no chance he's (laughs) 6'5. You know, I knew he was taller than that. And so I asked him and then. He got the biggest grin. He's got a great smile. He's like a thirty-five-year-old, twenty-year-old with his personality, with his comfort level, and acknowledge, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I have grown another inch. I mean, he's Giancarlo Stanton, big, and I do think he's going to have a huge impact to him in the big leagues. Right.
4: And you guys were telling us yesterday during the workout that that he hit a home run on a backfield that ended up landing on like the. The tarp uh, above the the, the media area, and and Eduardo suggested, well, that went at least 450 feet. So classic, you guys are sitting there, and a guy hits one on the roof right above you, and it it could only be that guy, 6'6", 250. I love it. This is why baseball's spring training is so great. You get to see some of these guys really for the first time, and you're just blown away by how big they are.
1: And I got to say, you know, in past years, you'd have a 20 year old who hasn't appeared in the big leagues and you would assume eh, they're going to send him to the minor leagues. That's not how baseball is these days. Like they assume that the teaching will continue at the big league level. They want to get high end talent to the big leagues. They're trying Tyler O'Neill in center field in spring. If they can make that work, then they would play Jordan Walker in left field. So far, so good. He looks great. And I do, you know, I love the quote from Skip Schumacher after Saturday's exhibition, after he hit this monster home run. He said, look, I was in the Padres organization. Tatis Jr. was that guy. He said, you know, he's like Tatis Jr. in terms of his impact. I'm
4: going to be fascinated to watch him develop. Well, I love that. I mean, Andrew Painter, age 19, might make the Phillies through Anthony Volpe, maybe the opening day shortstop for the A. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but these are really young kids. And I'm a big believer. If you think they're ready, let's go right now. If you need that wild card, that one guy to get you past the Astros or win your division, sometimes you got to take a chance on a young guy and see if it works. In honor of you, I also
1: asked him the first time that he dunked. He can remember the first time that he dunked, and he told me, and I said, this is a question that I know my my uh, my colleague Tim Kirchin would want to know the answer to, and he said 14. But he couldn't remember. See, <laughs> if you and I had ever dunked in our lifetime, we would not only know, like, how old we were, we would know the exact date, right? We would right. know the exact date. We might even take the rim home and put it up in
4: our, in our trophy room. Uh, Buster, me standing on your shoulders, we still couldn't dunk it. That's a fact. And by the way, I am so fascinated by the whole dunking process. My first real dog as an adult uh, was a black lab, and his name was Dunk. That was his name because I just have always loved anyone who could dunk it. So Jordan Walker, I'm sure he was jamming at 14. Love it.
1: And I didn't ask him this. I actually, on the drive, I was like, I should have asked him. I'm assuming he may have been named for Michael Jordan. Right? I mean, all those kids of that age, we get all right. these Jeters, you get all these Jordans. Right. So, you know, who knows? Next time I see him, I'm going to ask him that. Uh, Bleacher tweet for Co- Corey Ruckert asks With the rule changes, will we see a player with more stolen bases
4: than total wins for my Reds this year? Tim, what say you? Uh, I'm going to say the Reds, who are not good, are going to win more games than the stolen base leader. Look, I'm a a big believer, Buster, that with bigger bases, we might get some more action. We're sure hoping. But I've I've talked to dozens of players about this. And Max Scherzer, for one, said, I don't see the stolen base rate going up significantly more. He told me. With the base being that much bigger, he said, I just have to be 129 to the plate instead of 130. That is a microscopic difference. But he's smarter than everyone. He's already done the math on this. And he's not saying, oh, there won't be any stolen bases. He's just saying it's not as big a deal as you think on the stolen base. So I don't think anyone's going to steal 60 bases this year. That's my guess. And before you go, I want you to weigh in on the great
1: handshake saga of the weekend i just before i got on with you i pushed send on a note that major league baseball's uh you know investigation is not the right word but looking into this it's over they consider the matter settled what happened of course was on saturday uh veteran umpire cb buckner 60 years old went uh was at uh, the home plate and he wouldn't shake the hand of ollie Marmol the manager of the Cardinals, who he had a big blow-up with on the field and that led to an ejection uh, last year, he wouldn't shake Ollie's hand. Uh, the other umpires, from what we understand, basically told Ollie, you know, we told him we don't think this is the right decision. We don't agree with this decision not to shake your hand. So Marmol walks away. He talks to reporters about it after the game. Major League Baseball, from what I understand, spoke with both the umpire and the manager, and then before the game yesterday, they shook hands, Tim, to, to end maybe the dumbest decision that we've
4: seen so far in 2023. What are you doing, CB? Why would you do this? Hey, Buster, you know I'm a big umpires guy. Those guys are way better than people think they are, and I will stand on that. But that was totally disrespectful by the umpire, and it was embarrassing. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to leave it behind after the game and, and start the next day as a new day. And I asked, when I was there, I asked Ali Marmol yesterday, has anyone in your life ever not shaken your hand when you extended it? And he said, never before in my whole life has anyone refused to shake my hand until CB Buckner did. Let's hope this is over. This was way too much and this can't happen again from an umpire to a manager.
1: Yep. Uh, And Major League Baseball considers the matters closed and they expect both sides to move on. Tim, thanks for doing this. 15 minutes and I get to rip (laughs) (laughs) you.
4: It's okay, Buster. I can take it. I'm a little guy, but I can take it.
3: Buster, the one thing you're reminded of when you come to spring training and Major League Baseball stadiums, baseball players are huge.
1: Yeah, there's no question. Look, anybody's going to look tall next to me, okay? (laughs) But there's no way. You're listed at 6'5". There's no way, Jordan, that you're 6'5".
0: You know what? I might give you a little secret. They might be a little off now. I think I grew another inch. I might be six six now. So for sure, it's definitely six six, and a little heavier. If you see? It,
1: okay. Not. What would be the other half of that then? How big? What's the weight?
0: Uh, I am currently 250 pounds right now, um, but I'm wavering in between 249, and 251, around that area.
1: Yeah, we were talking on our conference call last week, getting ready for this. And you're right in the Giancarlo, Aaron, Judge range.
0: <laughs> hey, that's that's good company to be in. You know? <laughs> for All sure. Right. So
1: this spring uh, you've played the infield pretty much your whole life, but this spring you're playing a lot of outfield. How's that
0: going? It's going really well, man. I'm um, having a lot of fun out there, learning a lot out there, so it's, it's really fun out there. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I think it's a, a learning opportunity definitely, but you know, it's going pretty well. Okay, who are the players that you're leaning on for advice and how to make that transition? Pretty much all the outfield guys. Um, in the early work before we started playing games, I took a lot of fly balls with O'Neill, Newbar, Carlson. Just learning from them, looking at what they do. Um, and then one who's really gotten like put me under his wing, kind of, is uh, Juan Yepes. So when he works in the outfield, he pretty much tells me everything I need to know. He gives me the full rundown: uh, flight reads, um, jumps, uh, low line drives, things, everything I pretty much need to know. And he's really been helpful on you know me learning all that stuff.
1: Okay, when Mike Trout was drafted, he was picked late in the first round, and there's always been a debate since then. Why did he last so long? You were a 21st pick in the first round. How have you evolved since you were picked at 21?
0: I think the Cardinals really put me in a great position, with like the coaching staff I was around and the players I was around, I learned a lot from a lot of different people. Um, Mason, base running, and arm. He gets me. You know, right? We throw all the time together. And he gets me right with, like, spin on the ball, you know, how to get the maximum velocity. And that's the guy to ask if you want the maximum velocity on your ball. But also just, you know, different teammates with hitting. Um, remember last year, Chandler Redman on my Springfield Cardinals team really helped me, you know, clear my head and, and you know, help me get into a little groove hitting. And so did Pedro Paz, our catcher, just caught um, last inning. But, um, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of different people out here. And definitely I would say thanks to Cheo and Willie for the outfield work as well, along with the other players. So I think it's just, you know, being around these other players, getting the little bits and pieces from them has really helped me evolve a little bit. Guys in Booth want to know, what other sports did you play besides baseball growing up? Oh, a lot. Um, basketball. I would mess around with my friends and flag football. I never really wanted to get into actual football, but we had a little flag football thing going on. Soccer, swimming, do a lot of different things.
1: So i got to ask you a question that another short guy definitely would ask you if he was here, my friend Tim Kirkjian.
0: How old were you when you dunked? When I dunked my first dunk, I'll say my boys from high school remember better than I can. I'll say 14. 14, no. 15. Wow. I'll, give, I'll say 15, 15. That's really scary. I'll give, I'll give him 15. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's when I hit my growth spurt, and now I was I was really tall, so you know I started jumping a little bit better as well. You know, I got my first dunk. It was a little rim grazer, but you know, it, it is what it is. Little uh, lonely in the outfield. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely, man. I'm so used to being right next to Mason. He's talking all the time, but now I'm out in the outfield, no one to talk to. Real lonely out there for sure. <laughs> all right, George. It's great talking <laughs> yeah, with you. Sure. Good luck. Thank you. Back to you guys.
3: Yeah. Thank you. Perfect. He is. He's a future star, certainly on the field and and what appears to be off the field.
1: Twin shortstop Carlos Correa is an information hound, a habit formed when he was with the Houston Astros when he asked the analytics department to explain the relevance of statistics and how they're built. This is someone who at age eight asked his parents to take English lessons because he wanted to be able to do interviews in a second language when he reached the big leagues. This is someone who got a 1560 on his SAT in high school. In a recent conversation that I had with Carlos, he related what he's explained to young Twins first baseman Juan Miranda, uh, how statistics directly correlate to how teams evaluate players and how players get paid and what he needs to understand.
5: I saw your numbers in AAA, you had a 999 OPS. And he's like, what is that? And I said, oh boy, here we go. So from the moment that, that day, the first day I, I met him, in during the season we got called up to the last, to the end of the season, he was just exactly like me. Wake up, first thing, baseball reference. Second thing, fangra. Third Who thing, is this? baseball. Jose Miranda. Okay. Third thing, uh, baseball saban. Fourth thing, Fielding bible. You check all your stats every single day. And then that's how you understand it, right? You, you know, you, you get a defensive run, safe. You go back to the game, the previous game, you say, oh, this play gave me a defensive role save. Okay, I I know what I need to do to save more runs. And then you get deducted on a point because a play that you didn't finish, even though it wasn't an error, then you understand, hey, it's not about errors, it's about completing plays, right? So if you had an 80% chance uh, of out probability and you didn't complete it, you're going to get deducted. So then you start understanding the game and then you start playing for these metrics, which we're getting judged on and at the end of the day, it's gonna determine how much money you're gonna make. If you steal 10 bags and you get caught seven times, I mean, it's gonna hurt you big time on your war. It's nothing that hurts you more than getting caught stealing, right? I was on the basis. But what I tell the players is because in today's game, if you wanna win championships, you gotta have play discipline. And you gotta walk. I mean, if, if you face a team that chases a lot, which there are a lot of teams out there with a lot of potential, but they don't walk, yeah. They never win because when you get to the playoffs and the nasty pitchers come in, it's hard to string four or five hits together, yeah. right? But you can get a walk here, a walk there, and all of a sudden a three-run homer, and then you're winning that game. So, you know, in order for me to get players to buy into the analytics, I got to talk money and I got to talk, you know, uh, war because that's that's how we get valued now in today's game, right? So I tell them, hey, if you go, you know, do you know if you go over for 2 with two walks, your, your war goes up, but if you go two for four with two singles, two bloop singles, doesn't change a thing. They're like, Really? I'm like, Yeah, because walk can be projected. If you walk you can have projection. You get older, your bath speak gets lower but slower, but you still will have to play discipline the man the strike zone. to be able to be a joy bottle who's, you know, getting older in the game but he can still walk he can still you know put up a good month hitting and then he's at the end of the day his stats are gonna be there but as to if you don't walk and your bass speed goes down and you depend on infield singles your speed goes down too yeah then you're you're not gonna be good anymore when you're 35 36 so you gotta understand how important this is for you to get a long-term contract for you to go out there and be wanted by a lot of teams you gotta have play discipline so they buy into that you know they, they try to get more selective it's it's, it's just beautiful when you have this type of conversations and you see guys buying in and, and investing their time on, on trying to get it and understand it.
1: When Correa hurt his back earlier in his career, he sought out information from back specialist Robert Watkins and developed a regimen that one official told me was the best he's ever seen in a player. Correa is diligent, driven, detailed in his daily preparation. I asked Carlos about how he'll respond to the feedback he got in failing two physical exams over the winter, which blew up deals of 350 million and 315 million with the Giants and Mets respectively and caused the twins to reduce their offer to him from $285 million guaranteed to 200 million. There is concern that his long-term mobility will be affected by a broken fibula he suffered in 2014. And I asked Carlos this new information will change his regimen
5: Take even more care of myself right exactly yeah, be smart about it you know if, if you don't know i would just keep playing tennis with my sister i mean i was playing with her tennis before all my physicals right like i'm playing tennis uh, every yeah. weekend with her i'm doing all these things but if you don't know you feel healthy nothing hurts it's right fine um, but now that you know what they know then no, we're not gonna play tennis anymore. We're not gonna play basketball anymore. We're not gonna do these things that are outside the box of what my profession is. Uh, so, you know, it's just all being smarter with that. It's just do the work that you gotta do on the field, and you know, rest and, and make sure you take care of it with you know mobility work, uh, strengthening the areas around it, and and, and 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 a healthy diet. So, you know, that's that's the key about success in in this game. It's the players that are willing to do all the hard things to, to, to be successful and not everybody's willing to go to bed early and, and, and wake up early to work. Not everybody's you know uh, wanting to eat a healthy diet or or put in the work right it's, oh, oh there's always something missing when when you look at the elite of the elites in the game, you know they, they all these components they, they take care of them and uh, that's really what sets them apart. That's where they
1: gain the advantage. Correa's off season was unprecedented in how it played out but he seems to have moved on completely talking to twin staffers about how to win, not just a division, but a World Series. How long did it take you to get through that? Because I'm guessing that you had to have had a couple days where you're either confused or
5: pissed or whatever it is, but how long did it take you to kind of turn that page? Yeah, um, so the first time it happened in San Francisco, confused of course, because you know I went to the physical and I'm like, You thought it was going to be rubber stamp. Yeah, it's money. I'm like, I play play every game of the season except for the COVID and the hit-by-pitch games that I missed. Um, Didn't feel one thing in the whole season anywhere in my body. I mean, I was playing as healthy as I've ever played in my life. I was going through the uh, three days after the season was over. I was back in the gym. I was going through my workouts. I was going through, you know, sprints. I was going ground balls, hitting and all that. And... There was nothing wrong. Everything was smooth. Everything was great. Everything was feeling uh, healthy. And then when that happened, it was like, are you serious right now? Like, is this a sick joke or what? But it was it was real. So, you know, right away we moved on to the next thing. And uh, that was a deal with the Mets. So the New York, I fell through. All right, what's next? And that's... How were you at that point? I mean, sort of mentally? Yeah, the, the, the second one was... Uh, was even more shocking because, to my understanding, they knew already what was going on and they still wanted to make the deal. So, uh, when it fell through, it was like, oh, sh-. Um, But then, you know, uh, it told Scott, hey, you know, t- uh, take me where I'm wanted. That's in, in, in Minnesota. Um, you know, those people, they were with me for a whole year. They know my routine. They know I didn't visit the training room once in the entire year. They know I'm healthy. Um, so, so take me take me back to Minnesota, and, you know, Scotty's the best out there, so you know, he has made it happen. So how
1: long did it take you to get to that? You know, as you're going through it, you, you switch to the Twins. You know that you're probably going to get less money guaranteed because you now learn the information on the physical. How long did it take you to get to that point where you're like, okay, let's I think, go?
5: I think right away, right away. It's after just, the Mets, after the Mets, you played yes, right away? Yeah, right away. It's just, you know, there's no many things that will bring me down there's not right it's just like I don't focus on on, on on what's outside I focus on what's inside and that's by saying inside I mean my family members my, my friends my teammates the, the people that that truly are in my circle and uh like I always say that the the boat never sinks with the water that that surrounds it it's just the water that that you let get in your life that's the one that's gonna sink your boat so um you know, all that outside noise and all that outside stuff that I cannot control, it's, it's never affected me. Um, so I just keep going on with life and I just keep trying to make a positive impact with the people around me.
1: Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, Foxaloner, moxidectin, and pyrantel chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious, beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, Grand Salamis, Web Gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. 0096. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. She is talking to us from Arizona. Sarah, I didn't know we'd be getting you up at like 555. Hmm. What is that all about?
2: Well, luckily, it's 6.55. Thank goodness, because uh, the time change hasn't happened yet, right? So it's 6.55 to New York, uh, but I'm here seeing baseball game. Nothing better. I will always wake up for the podcast. I will always wake up for baseball so it all works out.
1: Sarah, let's start with this, a bleacher tweet from Gabrielle, and I'm not going to be able to pronounce the last name, but I'm just going to go NIAC619. Gabrielle uh, has a question. Who, in your opinion, would have the best season at shortstop this year, Lindor, Bogart, or Trey Turner? Who you got, Sarah, among those three? Lindor, Bogarts, oh, wow. Trey Turner.
2: That's a really tough one. I mean, at shortstop, defensively, obviously it's Lindor. But I think overall season, I think Trey Turner. I mean, I know Carl was talking last week about how he has him as an MVP candidate. And I really agree, especially with the uh, increased ability maybe for guys to steal bases. He's already super speedy, one of the fastest guys in the game. And I think he's going to be really comfortable in Philly. I I think i pick him.
1: And she also asked this question. Who, in your opinion, would be the best third baseman between three these three players, Rafael Devers, Nolan Arenado, or Manny Machado?
2: Oh, wow. I mean, this is great because Machado, of course, just signed that big extension. You know, Rafael Devers, I think at this point, it's kind of underappreciated and yep. underhyped. I might go with him.
1: Yeah, we had, I had a conversation actually with Francisco Lindor about Devers yesterday, and I mentioned to him, to to Lindor, that, uh, you know, as Devers is kind of through the minor leagues, they had evaluators of the team say he can't play third base, he can't play third base, and Lindor kind of laughed and said, yeah, all he does now is hit 330, and throw a 200 hits, yeah, he can yeah. play third base, uh, you know, we have that type of production. All right, let's play
3: the numbers game. Number three.
2: Number three is 5007. So speaking of Machado, who will also have a great year, by the way, he has 5000 plate appearances 5007 since the start of 2015. That is the most in the majors in that span. I don't think he gets enough credit for playing every single day. He's playing all of that time since 2015. With a 132 OPS plus. So he has been not just consistently there, but consistently good.
3: Number two.
2: Number two is 19. So you guys have the Phillies on ESPN on Thursday against the Red Sox. And one guy very interesting in Phillies camp is Andrew Painter, who is 19 years old. He'll turn 20 on April 10th, but if he were to make the team, he would be the first 19-year-old to start for the Phillies since Mark Davis in 1980, so it's been a really Mm. long time. And I'm not going to give it away because I want to hear you guys talking about it on the broadcast, but Dave Dombrowski has some history of calling up guys like that when other teams might not have.
3: Number one.
2: Number one is 96. So Sean Manaya, now with the Giants, was up to 96 miles an hour in his first start on Sunday. He said after the game, he's usually around 88 to 90. This time of spring in his first start, when he was around 93 to 96 miles an hour Sunday. He mentioned he went to driveline this offseason. And so I was curious, you know, not just for this point in the spring, but overall, he's only thrown 20 pitches at the major league level and 96 miles an hour faster. He has not been a velocity guy. If he has that, and by the way, most of those pensions were as a rookie, If he has that, that's an entirely different picture.
4: I got to tell you, Sarah,
1: the uh, Mania to me is an example of a guy who is benefiting from this spike in money in baseball. You know, whenever there's this conversation about baseball dying, baseball's in trouble I, I kind of laugh because I feel like just follow the numbers. Like it's an $11 billion industry. And we got this note from the Associated Press this week. The major league baseball average salary rose 14.8% last year. Wow. Where the average uh, salary is at 4.22 million. Sean Manaya I think you would agree with me. He had a bad year last year, like with mm-hmm. the Padres. He wasn't even in the rotation at the end of the year. He was kind of a mess. Uh, Sarah, he got two years and $25 million. (laughs) Like anybody who thinks that baseball is having an issue with money and baseball dying, just follow the numbers. Would you agree with me?
2: Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, he did not have his best year and for him to get that money on sort of a, you know, prospect of what he could do moving forward shows that there is plenty of money to go around at this point for these guys. And that's good. They certainly deserve it. But I agree. I mean, well, you can't say that the sport is in that kind of spot when there is this much money being spent. And it's a very good thing. It's good to see, but that's a really good way to frame it with a guy like him.
1: All right, Sarah, Well, have fun in Arizona. And, and I know at some point you're going to bump into Manny Bale. You're probably going to bump into Tito Francona. Say hi.
2: I absolutely will. Thank you so much.
3: top san francisco giants
1: the giants went from posting 107 wins in 2021 to an 81 and 81 season in 2022 a decline of 26 victories this is why san francisco bid heavily on Aaron judge offering over 300 million dollars before turning their attention to carlos correa and offering 350 million a deal that fell apart when correa failed his physical exam newcomers Lefty Taylor Rogers joins his twin brother Tyler in the San Francisco bullpen. And lefty Sean Minaya and righty Ross Stripling will try to make up for some of the production left behind by big-name lefty Carlos Rodon. Gone but not forgotten. There is a lot of change to walk through. Brandon Belt's 15 years with the Giants organization is at an end after he left in free agency to sign with the Blue Jays. Rodon was an all-star for the Giants last season and departed for the Yankees. Evan Longoria, who've been with San Francisco for five seasons, moved on to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Tommy Lastella and Kirk Casale are also gone. Fault Lines. Last year, defense was a major problem for the Giants, who hoped to be more athletic in their reconfiguration for this year to the degree they were prepared to move Brandon Crawford off shortstop and shift him to third base. San Francisco ranked at or near the bottom in just about every advanced defensive metric, including defensive runs saved. The Yankees ranked first in that stat at a plus 129, the Giants minus 129. 53. It's unclear whether they actually prove this winner in spite of their tensions going into the offseason. The X Factor the Giants bought lottery tickets on players who were down or out last year and they need them to pay off. On opening day, Michael Conforto will be about 18 months removed from his last game in the big leagues. Since then, he's had shoulder surgery, an absence that did not discourage the Giants from signing him to a two-year, $36 million deal, a calculated gamble for a team that needs an injection of power in their lineup. They also bet big on the 32-year-old Mitch Haniger on a three-year, $43.5 million contract, despite an injury riddle. 22 season for the outfielder the baseball tonight podcast win projection Bakota has the giants with 80.6 wins paul ambikidi says 82 wins sarah langs 77 i've got san francisco for 76 in the improved nationally west
3: bleacher tweets Already, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Tuesday. T. Jones at TNJ629 writes, and Buster, when the players are all used to the new pace of play rules, do you think the broadcasts will remove the pitch clock from the screen out of sight, out of mind for the fans at home?
1: T. Jones, no. Uh, I know that on the Sunday night broadcast, we're going to keep the clock on the screen. I think for this year, that's important.
3: The sports snob at the sports snob writes in, will Baltimore host an all-star game anytime soon? The pending Angelos and Masson lawsuits appear to be resolved, and Maryland is working toward a long-term stadium lease. It's a travesty that Camden Yards hasn't hosted an all-star game since 1993. I agree, Buster. Travesty.
1: I would agree. I, I, I attended that All Star game. It was one of the best ones I ever saw. It was the game where Randy Johnson, you know, threw over John Crux's head. It was in that home run derby. Ken Griffey Jr. hit a ball off the warehouse. It was so amazing. Um, it's really kind of a bummer that they haven't had it back there. There's no doubt the relationship between Peter Angelos uh, and Major League Baseball had a big impact on that. I, I you know, I look forward to the day when you get the All Star game back in Baltimore.
3: Melvin Reveron at Reveron Melvin writes in, why didn't Carlos Delgado get more votes for the Baseball Hall of Fame?
1: Because he was one of the guys affected by the stupid rule of 10 that the Hall of Fame has limiting uh, the ballot number or the number of people that you can vote for on a ballot. You know, Delgado was coming through the, the Hall of Fame cycle at a time when you had that log jam of steroid era candidates, you know, Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa, and Mark McGuire, uh, et cetera. Uh, And so the votes were split and Carlos got caught up in the wash.
3: Gregory Gosnell at Carl's Jr. 9982 has two questions. The first one, do you think the first pitcher to go down with Tommy John will blame the pitch clock as an added layer of stress? I think there's
1: a chance that you will hear that. I mean, we certainly saw it, you know, happen. Uh, Tyler Glass now after they did the stuff since you know, they they uh, when they began to crack down on that, you saw a number of pitchers get hurt. So I wouldn't be surprised whether it actually is related or not. I do think you'll see somebody blame it.
3: Gregory follows up with, do you think starters will throw slower due to the faster pace of play?
1: Starters and relievers. I think they that you will see some velocity come down. You know, I was texting back and forth with a pitcher about this this morning. You know, we've seen guys essentially just sort of load up like sprinters, you know, go to the back of the mound, catch their breath, sort of get ready physically and then, and then fire another ball. This is like rather than having a series of sprints, this is like someone running a 10K, you know, for a starting pitcher or someone running a 3K
3: if you're a runner versus a sprint because you've got to get back on the mound and throw the ball. Last one for today, Tevye Troy at Tevye Troy writes in per James Wagner, the pitch clock and the minors shortened the average game by 25 minutes and the league saw a notable decrease in injuries. Uh, Tevye wants to know why the reduction in injuries? Is it just less playing time?
1: Yeah, and I sent an email out this morning when I saw your question and I haven't gotten back answers. What I mentioned about, you know, pitchers throwing at a slower uh, velocity, I think that's related I think that, uh, you know, and I, I don't know, there's no way to prove it. But I suspect that, you know, having those relievers who throw bastard slider after bastard slider at max effort with 25 or 30 seconds between pitches, that just can't happen anymore. So that might be it. And I think, uh, you know, your theory about players uh, being on their feet, being uh, playing uh, for a short amount of time, that might be related as well. I, I You know, I'll,
3: I'll relate later in the week any more answers that I get. Alrighty. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. We're going to be back tomorrow, which is uh, Wednesday and Friday as well. So keep them coming. Thanks, everyone.
1: That's it for today. My thanks to Carlos Correa, Sarah, Tim, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to talk about every single day.